If you'd open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, the second chapter of Luke, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read to verse 40. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. 
And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. As we continue during this season to consider the anticipation and the preparation that ought to be a part of our lives as we continue walking through this Advent series and looking towards that coming of Christ, the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, and in a very real way, stepping into the context of those who were waiting for our Lord's initial arrival. It's really hard to completely enter into their context, living so far this side of the reality of Christ coming and God taking on flesh. But imagine if in eight days Christ was coming. How affected would our lives be by that reality? We're simply celebrating it marking it, acknowledging it, worshiping Him as a result of it. But what if He really were coming? What if we really were waiting and anticipating and expecting the promise from the prophets that He will come, the fulfillment in the Gospels that He came, the guarantee of God that He will come again? We have stated over the past three weeks, this the fourth week now, considering this theme, that we ought to be anticipating Christ coming, learning from those who anticipated it so well initially. In fact, it is why Christ came, that we might know Him and be known by Him. He came that He might live and die. Moments, hours Probably before his death, he stands, Christ stands before Pilate. When Pilate says, so you are a king? And Jesus answers, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate responded, what is truth. Jesus had already made clear what truth was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came. 
He was born, he came into the world to testify the truth. He came in the world to testify about himself. He came in the world to save his people. As we consider the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, the coming of the Messiah, what is it that we should be open to learning? What what is being taught to us? Well, there are a number of things. God is not a distant ruler. He draws near to His people. God is not passive in communicating truth or saving His people or accomplishing His purposes. He takes the initiative. He sent His Son into the world. God isn't confused or dismayed about what's going on all throughout the earth. He has a plan. He has an eternal plan, and it cannot, will not, has never been, nor will it ever be thwarted, not in the least sense. God reveals Himself to His people in His Son perfectly. God provides a way of salvation for His people. He provides a way for us back into fellowship and communion with Himself. What does the birth or incarnation of Christ teach us? That God has demonstrated His own love towards us. What does the birth teach us? The birth of Jesus teaches us that God loves to rescue sinners. He willingly sent His Son because He loves to rescue and redeem and restore broken and fallen humanity. And so far in the birth of Jesus, we have witnessed responses from heaven as the angels sing of the glory and the peace that He will accomplish. We've considered it from earth as we looked at Mary's response in anticipating the coming of the child. We saw the shepherd's response, having heard from the angels and going and seeing for themselves We see here in Luke chapter 2 especially that God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. Look at verse 21, which is where we're picking up today. His name was called Jesus. Why Jesus? Because He will save His people from their sins. God saves. Though he's a king, that's not his name. He's a lawgiver, that's not his name. He's a prophet, that's not his name. He's a judge, that's not his name. He's the high priest, that's not his name. His name is Jesus, Savior, Deliverer, Redeemer. He came to save his people. He came to accomplish the gospel. This gospel that is living and saving, and unchanging, and restoring, and powerful, and exclusive. It is a living gospel for spiritually dead sinners. It's a saving gospel for those who are perishing. It's an unchanging gospel in an ever-changing world. It's a restoring gospel for those who, by disobedience, have ruined their lives. It's a powerful gospel for those who cannot save themselves. And it's an exclusive gospel. 
only this gospel is good news. There is no other good news, only the gospel of Jesus Christ. His name was called Jesus. And he was not just Mary's firstborn son, though he was. He was not just another boy born in Bethlehem, though he was a boy born in Bethlehem. But he was the firstborn of all creation, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This child was the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, the king of all kings, Lord of all lords, the only begotten Son of God, the radiance of his Father's glory. It's no wonder we see Mary sitting back, as it were, and treasuring it all, pondering these things in her heart, recognizing at least some of the significance of what's taking place. Verse 19, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And again, verse 51, towards the end of the chapter, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. From day 8 to age 12, Mary is soaking it all in, reveling in the glory that God has sent His Son into the world to save sinners. And not just Mary, but last week we saw that the shepherds marveled at this and went on to spread the news. And they spread the news in such a way that other people were also in awe. We just sang it, who is he in yonder stall, at whose feet the shepherds fall. Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. Oh, that the Lord would give us that kind of grace, then wouldn't we talk about this God-man, this Jesus, this Christ, that others would be in awe of him. Picking up now in verse 21 we see even more glimpses into the early days of our Savior's life. The time period that we'll look at this morning is from age eight days old to age 41 days old. The end of the chapter runs through age 12, but we're just going to look at through verse 38 together. So from the time that Jesus was eight days to 41 days, even as an infant, a seemingly insignificant part of the child's life, when you consider the whole, especially when you consider the whole of Christ's life and all that He did and all that He accomplished, and yet even still He's being adored from heaven, pursued on earth, welcomed by the aged, enjoyed by the young, anticipated by women, worshipped by men. I mean, consider the inclusivity of the contrast that we have here. Previously, Zechariah, an old man, with Mary, a young woman. Here in the passage this morning, Simeon and Anna, men, women, old, young, Jew, Gentile. Jesus is for all people everywhere for all time. In fact, He's for you here this morning. If you're not in Christ, this babe who was born is a risen king now who is for you. He will save you from your sins. As this portion of the story opens up, we see Jesus' parents. Verse 22, when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed... 
They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. In fact, in between verses 22 to 39, five times it's mentioned here the emphasis of keeping the law. Five times Luke marks the attention to detail that Mary and Joseph give to honoring God by what he has stated in his word. Now, we often talk about being saved by Christ's work on the cross, and rightly so. It is a remarkable work, and without it, we are lost forever. But we are also saved by his life, not just his death, by all of his life. These particular details that his family is given to keeping. We are saved by them, and apart from them, there is no salvation. Verse 39, look again, when they had performed everything according to the law, Joseph and Mary were committed to doing everything that God had commanded them to do. So they show up here at the temple on this day, after the days of purification are over for Mary, And the sacrifice that was offered by his family was two turtle doves. Jesus, the creator of the whole earth, the king of glory, had a very, very humble beginning. Though he was rich, he became poor. The song we just sang. And in this humble beginning, he was identifying with those that he had come to save. Because every single one of us are spiritually impoverished apart from Christ. Jesus is the center, not just of the entire Bible, but especially in these early chapters of Luke, Luke 1 and 2. He is the center of all that's going on. Everything is revolving around Him. It's the way that our lives ought to be. Here in the passage, it's angels and shepherds and Mary and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna. Everyone has their eyes fixed on Him. Each and every person in this story is worshiping Christ. And and here's part of the emphasis that I want us to consider this morning. All of these people, they had mere promises, yet they're full of anticipation. They saw only a baby or a small child later in chapter 2, yet they treasured his arrival. They heard the voice of a boy or the cries of an infant, yet they are amazed at him. And now the promises that they had are fulfilled. And many more promises have been fulfilled. And we, this morning, in our day, have both the promises that have been made and their fulfillments, which leaves us with a question, what will we do with them? How will we respond to the truth of God being revealed, to the hope that we have in Him? How will we worship? Will we be outpaced by Joseph and Mary and the dim light they had, or Simeon and Anna? and the dim light that they had? Or will we pick up the pace and respond appropriately and worship our Lord? As we walk through the passage, I've split it up into seven points. 
First, regarding Simeon. We'll walk through Simeon's responses. Simeon's character, along with his confidence, his commemoration, the chorus that he sings, the confession that he makes. So, his character, confidence, commemoration, chorus, and confession. And we'll look briefly towards the end at Anna as well in her commitment with her continued service. So, I mentioned already the setting of the passage in the life of our Lord from eight days to 41 days. So, 33 days in the life of Jesus. Again, a reminder of the context that Jesus is born into. Spiritual darkness. There had been a dearth of new revelation for centuries where God has not spoken anything new to His people. And yet we find the expectation and the anticipation of people like Simeon and Anna to be such a relief, such a breath of fresh air. Let's consider first Simeon and his character. He was righteous. Verse 25, this man named Simeon was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was righteous. He was justified by faith. Like Abraham before him, he believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He was positionally righteous before God and was continuing to grow in grace. So he wasn't just positionally righteous, but he was practically growing in that righteousness in his life and in his deeds. And this produced in him a devoutness. He was devoted to serving God, to revering God, to fearing Him and Him alone. So he was devout within. It produced a righteousness without, which meant that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. He wanted light in the midst of the darkness. His heart was fixed on God, and he knew the Word of God. He knew the promises that God had made. So as a result, he is anticipating the consolation of Israel. He is he's longing for the eternal comfort and compassion of God to be displayed on the people of God. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. In fact, Luke goes on to say it three different times, verse 25, 26, and 27. The Holy Spirit was upon him. By the Holy Spirit it was revealed to him. He came in the Spirit. I'm sure you've considered the question or heard it considered by others at some point about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Simeon is a great argument that the Holy Spirit was alive and well and working in the days of the Old Testament. And you're probably ready to argue with me that we're in the New Testament here, right? But the Holy Spirit hasn't come down at Pentecost yet, right? So, you know, if we could back up a little bit, there's a hard break between our Old Testament and New Testament in the Bibles, and that's understandable. But the harder break should be fast-forwarded a little bit to the institution of the new covenant when Christ dies and raised again and ascends on high and the Holy Spirit is poured out. So let's not think too hard about those distinctions. There was old promises that are revealed and fulfilled in the new, 
But seeing Simeon's life here, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Pre-Pentecost is encouraging, considering that we serve this God who never changes. Simeon offers a wonderful pattern of life for us, looking to Christ for our everything, to Christ for our righteousness, to Christ for our devotion, to Christ for our expectation, to Christ as our all in all. So that's Simeon's character. This is who he is before God because of what God has done in him. But this gave him a confidence. He was confident in the Word of God that had been revealed to him, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He was full of hope that what God had said to him was true, which is, again, a wonderful pattern for us. God has spoken to us wonderfully in His Word. May we have this kind of confidence that what God has said is true, that He's for us and not against us, that no matter how dark the days, no matter how difficult the times, no matter how dangerous the circumstances, Simeon's confidence and hope remained in the unchanging truth of God. He wasn't swayed by the darkness of the world. He wasn't deterred by the difficulty of the times or the dangerousness of the circumstances. His hope was in God and what God had said. And while God hasn't given us some kind of promise of seeing the Lord before our death, we do have a definite promise of seeing Him after death. To be absent from the body, the apostle writes, is to be at home with the Lord. Death for the Christian, here's the promise for us, death for the Christian is graduating to glory. And we can have confidence in that. And we can live with that kind of confidence that if we're hoping in Christ, we will see Him. Simeon was confident in the Word of God. Point three, verses 27 and 28, Simeon's commemoration. He came in the Spirit when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then Simeon took Jesus into his arms and blessed God. So this young new family is entering the temple, and a man meets them there. It's as if he was expecting them to show up. You have to wonder, how many times had Simeon come? How many mornings had he come wondering, I wonder if today's the day? He he didn't just make a guess or pull out the calendar and think, I'm going to go on this day, and I bet that's when it's going to happen. Simeon was there day after day, worshiping God, expecting this may be the day, anticipating, longing for the consolation and the compassion of God to be displayed. He was looking and waiting and anticipating. I mean, the the local priest surely had questions about what Simeon's doing. What are you doing? What are you looking for? Oh, it's you again, Simeon. And then on this day, in the kind providence of God, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And there's Jesus, the one that he was looking for. And he took him into his arms and he blessed God. The one that Simeon was looking, he lived his whole life in anticipation of this moment. He longed for God's people to be comforted. And now he knows it's going to happen. Here it is. It's happening before his very eyes. Now, it was not an uncommon desire for people to 
long for Israel's consolation. In fact, during that day, it was often the case that people would swear by their desire to see Israel's consolation. But while this was not necessarily uncommon, it certainly was not the popular sentiment. There weren't a whole lot of Simeons running around looking for and anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. Simeon is a wonderful bright spot that's shining in the midst of these dim and dark days that are leading up to and immediately following the birth of Jesus. He's not alone. Anna here in this chapter, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, there are others, but Simeon is certainly a bright spot, and we see it here. Luke records it for us. His hope has become a reality. He came in the Spirit into the temple. This man, governed and guided by the Holy Spirit, he walks with God. God is leading and directing his every step along the way. And again, considering Simeon as a pattern for our life, we have the same kind of need of living in the Spirit, being governed by the Spirit of God, being guided by the Spirit of God, walking with God day in and day out. Simeon then breaks forth in chorus, now Lord. This is the fifth song in Luke's gospel, chapters 1 and 2 a fifth song that's recorded that's praising God for sending Jesus. And Simeon takes the infant Christ into his arms and praises God. Now, Lord, you. Notice the focus of Simeon's worship. It's God. You're releasing me to depart in peace. You've kept your word. All your promises are yes and amen in Christ. My eyes have seen your salvation. Not literal salvation. It hasn't been accomplished, but he knows based on the promise of God and the fulfillment of that promise, it's as good as done. He's seen the means, the message, the man of salvation was in his arms. He was holding him. Christ is that for you? Believer, do you hold him that close with that kind of confidence that results in you redounding with a chorus of the hope that you have in him. Simeon says here, I've seen enough. You made the promise, I see it fulfilled. And he's full of faith as a result. He didn't require seeing him with the teachers at 12. He didn't need to hear about the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't require witnessing Jesus walking on water. He didn't have to see the transfiguration happen. He didn't need to talk with or touch the resurrected Christ. He didn't think it necessary to experience the ascension. He had seen Jesus. He didn't need to see the empty tomb. He had seen Jesus, and that was enough. How encouraging for us as we see Simeon here, this old man. We often see young, zealous believers, and that's encu- while that's encouraging to see the old, the mature, the committed, the resilient, the steadfast, still looking for the consolation of Israel, not giving up hope, still holding fast, still seeking to walk with the Lord all the days of his life. And he has no apparent concern for vindicating his reputation. No doubt he had made known as a result of his multiple trips to the temple day after day, He had made known what he was looking for. He had no concern for vindicating whatever reputation he had gained. 
The anticipation had come to fruition, and he immediately and only praises God for sending the Messiah as a light to the Gentiles and as glory for Israel. You are releasing your bondservant to depart, he says. Releasing and depart are both euphemisms for death. Here's what Simeon's saying. Now I can die. I've seen that it's all true. I've seen and experienced salvation. He's seen the Savior. He's believed the word of truth. He's hoped in God alone. My eyes have seen your salvation. How? How did he do that? Because he has eyes of faith. And he knows that salvation is Jesus. This one whom God sent into the world to be robed in frail human flesh like ours, to live and to keep every jot and tittle of the law on our behalf, and to go to the cross and to die a cruel death that we deserved, and to suffer all the wrath of God for his people, and to die and to be buried. And being buried to carry the sins of his people as far as the east is from the west. And then on the third day to be raised again. And to ascend on high leading captivity captive. And sending his Holy Spirit to continue the work. And to flesh out and distribute all the gifts that he had earned for his people during his life. Salvation is in this Jesus. And this salvation is for you. Oh, if you're not in Christ, you should respond to this call of trusting in Jesus and turning from your sin. He came to save. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Simeon continues. Verse 31, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You have prepared in the presence of all people. Simeon recognizes where the concept of the gospel originated. It is designed by God and determined by God in the heart of God, in eternity past, absolutely determined to save his people. All the people. Verse 10 said it earlier, I bring you good news of great joy, the angel said, which will be for all the people. Verse 32 defines all these people from verse 10 and verse 31. It's Gentiles in Israel. It's everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. They will all be saved. Why is it this way? Because it's too great a salvation. It's too, he is too great of a Savior to be limited to a small nation with so few people. Christ came to save people from all over the globe, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Isaiah 42, 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Christ coming to save all peoples everywhere is not a New Testament idea. This is Isaiah saying that he will send, that God will send his messenger, his servant, as a light to the nations, all of them. Isaiah 49, again, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. 
You will do that, but I will also, Isaiah 49, 6, make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Or Isaiah 51, pay attention to me, O my people. Give ear to me, O my nation, for a law will go forth from me and I will set my justice for a light for the peoples. Or Isaiah 52, I suppose we could go on and on. The Lord has barred his holy arm in the sight of all nations. Pardon, has bared his holy arm in the sight of all nations, that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Who did he come to save? The ends of the earth, that the ends of the earth might see the salvation of our God. It is too small a thing for so great and glorious a Savior to save only Israel. The Gentiles and Israel of verse 32 make up the all peoples of verse 31 and verse 10 from earlier in the chapter. Simon tra- Simeon pardon, transitions from, as I was reviewing my notes several times, I would catch myself thinking in my mind, Simon instead of Simeon, so much so that I actually ran a search on the entire document to make sure that I haven't accidentally written Simon somewhere other than Simeon. Um, But I did just say it there. There's a Simon in my house, so Simon comes off very quickly and easily. Simeon's confession, verses 34 and 35. Blessed Mary and Joseph said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. For the fall and the rise. An unfortunate reality, but also a hopeful truth. He's appointed for the fall. Many will stumble over Christ rather than standing by faith in Him. You don't have to be one of those. You don't have to stumble over Him. You can be one who is raised up with Him. Simeon makes that clear here too. Many will be raised up to serve with him, to reign with him forever and ever. Simeon turns to Mary here with a word about a sign and a sword. This sign's not a small sign placed in the backyard, but it's a large, over-the-top, obvious sign, namely this, that there will be no neutrality with this one. You either rise with him or you fall before him. You're either raised up with him or ruined in your life as a result of rejecting him. And a sword, your soul, Simeon says, your soul, Mary, will be pierced. Not a blade on your skin, but a blow to your soul. Jesus is 41 days old, and Simeon is making a statement, a prophetic statement about the sufferings that will come and his death that is sure. Now, it's hard to imagine opposition of an infant. It's hard for us to believe, but but this baby that has been born will be hated and blasphemed and opposed. That's the sign. And the sword, the sufferings of the Savior, they're prophesied so early. But a prophecy that came true nonetheless, Mary's soul was pierced. Now consider the striking contrast that that Mary is experiencing thus far with finding out initially about the coming of Jesus. And now 41 days after his birth, she goes from the joy of the incarnation prepared by Gabriel and Elizabeth and their excitement and rejoicing and now the anguish of the cross. 
as she hears from Simeon. Joy-filled and painful personal consequences arise from associating with Jesus. That was true for Mary, and it's true for every one of us. We are guaranteed a life of joy, and we are guaranteed painful personal consequences as a result of being raised up with him. Mary and Joseph show up at the temple this day to dedicate their firstborn son. Mary's holding her sacrifice in her hands, doves in one hand, the child in the other. She hears of the suffering to come. Though it's largely veiled with kindness now, she can't fully comprehend it. It will, however, be fully realized later. And Simeon wasn't the only one there that day. Verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna. Her commitment and her continued service, the final two points, briefly. The order of the two visitors at the temple is worth noting. Had Mary heard Simeon's message apart from Anna's, she may have despaired. Imagine that Simeon's the only one that they meet there that day, and she hears about the opposition that the child will face and the sword that will pierce even her own soul. But they run into Anna afterwards, and her message is enthusiastic, and it sufficed to keep Mary focused and attentive to the task at hand, and it kept her rejoicing in what God was doing through this child. I find it also interesting to note that with Simeon, it is noted definitively that Christ is coming to save His people, the Jews, but also that the Gentiles will be welcomed in. And as we swing back and and see Anna later on that same day, Anna makes a point to say that the Jews are still being rescued. She's still looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, the end of verse 38. Anna's commitment, 84 years, the epitome of singular devotion to God. What a great model in Simeon previously, but now also in Anna. Her commitment, how is it defined? She never left the temple. Her commitment, how is it defined? She served by day, she served by night. Continued service from this lady. How's it noted? She fasted. She prayed. She was thankful. She began giving thanks to God, verse 38. And notice what else she did. She continued to speak of Him. She didn't begin speaking of Him. Again, look at the confidence that she has, that the Savior's coming. She had been talking about him already. The days were dark. The times were difficult. There was no new revelation from the Lord. But God had his remnant. He had his people, and Anna is definitely one of them. She continued to speak of this Jesus to all those who were looking to the redemption of Israel. All those who were running around, the religious primarily, who are looking for hope. She kept saying, he really has come now. I told you he was coming He has now come, and it is this man. So she fasted, she prayed, she was grateful to God, and she was evangelistic in her life toward others. In conclusion, right where we started, well, it took me a little while to get there, but it's where I intended to start. Will we allow these saints of old 
to outpace our pursuit of knowing Him. They had wonderful promises. There's not a thing wrong with the Old Testament promises recorded for us in Scripture. They're fulfilled in Christ. And we live not in the dim day of only promises, but in the full noonday sun of seeing the promise and the fulfillment, the yes and the amen in Jesus Christ. So will we be outpaced by these saints of old, or will we pick up the pace? Answering the question, what is he? What is this child who came, who is now king? What is he to you? Are you holding him close like Simeon and singing of the Savior with your life? Or have you marginalized him, pushing him over to the edge? Is he simply a Savior and you aren't committing to doing what he says, keeping his law, recognizing him as Lord? At the end of the day, our lives, day in and day out, our response to passages like this, texts like this, reveals our answer. May God help us to be a people who are willing to, in an ongoing fashion, pick up the pace and follow the patterns that we have here of people like Simeon and Anna who are longing for the coming of Jesus, who are expecting and anxiously awaiting closer fellowship with Him. And may we take hold of Him as our Lord and our Savior. If you're not in Christ, turn from your sin. Trust in Him completely. Hold Him close and sing that new song of redemption. Christ came in the world to save sinners. And you may think it's going out on a limb, but I'm willing to bet every one of you in here qualifies as a sinner, including me which is only bad news if we do not accept and respond appropriately to the good news that this Christ came to save us. Won't you trust in Him and follow Him more fully with every aspect of your life? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you for the truth that it contains, and we pray that you would cause by your Spirit the truth as it is in Jesus to invade and affect every one of us, that we might long to know you more, that we might pursue you more fervently, that we might seek to obey you more fully. We trust that you will do this. You are faithful to hear and to answer prayer. So we ask God, save those who are far off and draw even closer those that know you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.